Welcome to the Law with DK Williams. Giving the courts credit when they get it right, calling them out when they get it wrong. Welcome back to the Law. I'm DK Williams, and this electoral college thing is big. I'm telling you, it's big. It's not going away. The national media is talking about it, and of course, so are we. This is episode 49 Guerra versus Washington. Last week in episode 48, we went over Vaca versus Colorado, where the Federal Court of Appeals for the 10th Circuit, based here in Denver, said that Colorado state law that restricted how the presidential electors in the Electoral College could vote was unconstitutional. So the state could not tell them they had to vote a certain way. 10th Circuit held in a two to one decision that the presidential electors can vote however their judgment dictates. In this case, Guerra, the Washington Supreme Court held, in essence, the exact opposite. And Guerra, it's spelled G-U-E-R-R-A, Spanish for war. And as always, The Law with D.K. Williams is brought to you by, and in collaboration with, Speakeasy Ideas. You can subscribe to The Law and other Speakeasy Ideas podcasts through your favorite podcast app and at speakeasyideas.com. Follow this podcast on social media, Twitter at the Law, DKW, and on Facebook.com slash The Law with DK Williams. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're so inclined, check out that Facebook page, like it, review it, comment, and follow me on Twitter. Subscribe and share. You know the whole rigmarole. And this week, we want to highlight the great people over at Presidential Wealth Management. Keith Weinman and Bob Farmer are up north in Loveland. And down in Denver, we've got Jason McBride, John Buckingham, and Lauren Levy. Presidential Wealth Management, a team of people ready to help feisty, free-minded citizens keep and enjoy more of what they've earned. Check them out at presidentialwm.com. And also check out Straightforward Shooting at straightforwardshooting.com and Grand Lake U.S. Constitutional Week at, you guessed it, all together now. The words are all together, grandlakeusconstitutionweek.com. Check all that out. So who are the named participants in this week's case we're discussing? And again, this just happened within the last couple of months. Levi Guerra, Esther John, and Peter Chiaflo are the three named parties. Guerra is first, so his name is what we all get to use. In 2016, of course, the most recent presidential election, these people were three Democratic electors out of Washington's 12. Washington gets 12 because they got 10 members of the House of Representatives. And if you get the House of Representatives joke, that's awesome. The House of Representatives and the two senators. So these three electors presidential electors in Washington, they're Democrats because Hillary Clinton won the popular vote in the state of Washington. But these three did not vote for Hillary like they were required to under Washington state law. So just like in Colorado, Baca was required by state law to vote for Hillary because she won Colorado also. But he did not do that. And remember, this was part of a ill-fated effort to try to get some Republican electors to not cast their vote for Donald Trump, vote for some other Republican who, in the mind of a lot of these Democratic electors, would be favorable, more favorable than Donald Trump winning. So these Democrats are saying, hey, we'll vote for a Republican. Some of you Republicans, if you want to join us, that'd be awesome. And maybe we can get enough defectors, Republican defectors, to keep Trump from winning the White House and 270 electoral college votes. Of course, they did not come close to it. But if we don't get this resolved by the next presidential election in 2020, and it's a close one, no telling what might happen, it could really create some chaos. 
And in this case, in Washington, unlike in Colorado. In Colorado, Baca's vote for John Kasich, I mean, he actually crossed out Hillary Clinton's name because it's, I mean, it's a joke. It's not really a vote, right? Here's vote for Hillary Clinton, and that's the only option on the ballot. Well, he crossed that out, wrote in John Kasich. So in Colorado, Baca's vote was not counted. He was kicked out of the Electoral College for not abiding by the state statute by the Colorado Secretary of State at the time, Wayne Williams. Now, in Washington, there's a state statute that punishes faithless electors with a civil fine of up to $1,000. Guerra and the other two, they all voted for Colin Powell instead of Hillary, and they were indeed, pursuant to that statute, fined $1,000 for not doing what they were required to do by state law. However, unlike in Colorado, their votes were counted. Those three faithless votes that didn't go to Hillary and went to Colin Powell instead were counted. So these three didn't like being fined, $1,000. So they challenged the fine as being unconstitutional punishment or a restriction for, for them using their discretion to vote as electors. Well, the Washington State Supreme Court upheld the fine, said the fine was okay and not a violation of the Electoral College process, Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution, as it was amended by the 12th Amendment. So this decision by the Washington State Supreme Court is in direct opposition to the result in the Tenth Circuit, because in the Tenth Circuit, they said Baca, his vote should count, and that electors should be able to vote their conscience or use their discretion. So the U.S. Supreme Court is probably going to have to resolve this issue, because if they don't, they don't do it before the 2020 elections. I guarantee you there's going to be more faithless electors. Just imagine if Donald Trump wins in 2020 by two electoral college votes. One can imagine the potential chaos if the Supreme Court doesn't resolve this issue about whether or not electors have discretion or not. Because if two electors switch their votes and change the outcome of the electoral college, you can imagine I mean, that, that would be a, a constitutional crisis. So the idea here is from the people that are pushing these lawsuits, this equal citizens group that's backed by a Harvard law professor, they want the Supreme Court to resolve this so that does not happen. Now, of course, if, whoever, if someone wins the 2020 presidential election by 150 electoral college votes, it's not going to matter because I don't think there's any way you're going to get that many of them to, to be faithless electors. So the Washington Supreme Court ruled eight to one. So there was one dissenter against Guerra, and they upheld the $1,000 fine. The lone dissenter is Justice Stephen Gonzalez. He got it right, in my opinion. He came to the same basic conclusion as the three-judge panel in the Tenth Circuit, and of course, that was a two-to-one decision in the Tenth Circuit. So Justice Gonzalez, as I was, you know, looking up, looking him up, looking up these justices, he's actually a pretty good-looking guy. I'm just saying. So the, the things you find out when you research on the internet are always interesting. And as an aside, Washington State Supreme Court justices have to retire at 75, and they are elected. They're elected. They're not appointed to six-year terms. So some states elect judges, like in Washington, and others, like in Colorado, they're appointed. Of course, all federal judges are appointed. I think there are pros and cons to both, but that's another discussion. So the facts in this case are pretty straightforward. This is from the opinion of the Washington State Supreme Court. Appellants Levi Guerra, Esther John, and Peter Chaffalo moved for direct appeal of a Thurston County Superior Court decision upholding the imposition of the $1,000 fine for failing to cast their votes in the United States Electoral College in accordance with the popular vote in the state of Washington. They argue the fine is a violation of Article 2, Section 1, and the 12th Amendment of the Constitution. Washington Supreme Court says, for the reasons below, 
we reject appellant's argument and affirm the trial court. So they're saying, yeah, that we can pun- the state can punish you for not voting the way the, the law says you should vote. So the legal analysis here, it is the opposite of BACA that we discussed last week. So under Washington law, in the statute, it says each political party with presidential candidates is required to nominate electors from its party. The people nominated are required to pledge to vote for the candidate of their party. Okay, that's in their statute. And we discussed last week this 1952 U.S. Supreme Court case of Ray versus Blair. That's going to be huge when the U.S. Supreme Court, if they hear this Spock case and this Garrett case, if they're going to resolve the differences, Ray versus Blair is going to be something they're going to have to expound upon. Because in that case, 52 case, the last major case that dealt with the Electoral College, the U.S. Supreme Court said Alabama could require electors to make a pledge to vote for their party candidate. The U.S. Supreme Court did not, however, discuss if such a pledge was enforceable in any way. The Baca Court, 10th Circuit, pointed that out. And it's an important point. It's very important. So let's say you promise to bring someone back a souvenir from Disneyland. So you made a pledge. I will bring you a souvenir. But you forgot and you don't do it. So what recourse does the person have you promised a souvenir? What do they have? They've got none. So the same principle might apply here to an elector's pledge. I promise to vote for Hillary. And then you don't. So what happens? We don't know. Here in Washington, there was a punishment for breaking that pledge. Go back to the opinion, quoting, The people of the state do not vote for presidential electors, like Guerra. Rather, they vote for presidential candidates, like the rest of us do, right? The nominees of the party that wins the popular vote are appointed by the legislature to be Washington state's presidential electors. Along with but two other states, Washington has a winner-take-all electoral system. So if you win the Washington popular vote, you get all 12 of the electors. That's the way it's written, right? That's the way it's in the statute. And in Colorado, you get all nine if you win. So that's why Washington was won by Hillary, and she was supposed to get the 12 electoral college votes according to their statute. She also won in Colorado, and the statute required the electors to vote for her because she won the state election. And some of them didn't, right? So that's what we're discussing. What happens when they don't? Are they allowed to use their discretion? And this nobody really follows this electoral college stuff, right? It's just We've just been treating it as a formality. Now, whoever wins the state gets the electors gets electoral college votes, but the party has to nominate them. So here in, in this Washington case in 2016, the Washington GOP, through some process, picked 12 electors, just like the Democrats did in Washington. And whoever won the popular vote in that state, those electors were the official electors. So if Trump had won, the GOP picked electors would vote, but Hillary won instead. So those electors got to vote and three of them didn't vote for her. And again, it was part of this plan that didn't work out. Plan to keep Trump from getting 270 electoral college votes. And it mentions that all but two states have a winner-take-all election for president. Those two that don't are Maine and Nebraska. And the way they do it is each congressional district has a winner. And if you win a congressional district within one of those states, you get one electoral college vote. So in Washington, if they did it that way, 10 congressional districts, they could be divided up any number of ways. And they're all, then you've got two more electors, elector votes you got to count for, for the Senate. And whoever does win the entire state gets those two. So that's only in Maine and Nebraska. You get one electoral vote for each congressional district you win. And then whoever wins the entire state gets the other two. And we mentioned this plan to try to keep Trump from getting enough electoral college votes to win. The Washington court mentions that. They say, based on the results from the nationwide election, 
it was expected that Donald Trump would become the next president. Nationwide, some electors, including appellants here, announced they would not vote for Clinton or Trump and would instead attempt to prevent Trump from receiving the minimum number of electoral college votes required to become president. Under the Constitution, if no candidate receives a majority of electoral college votes, the House of Representatives is to determine who will be the next president. So again, they just wanted to stop Trump from getting it. They would get it thrown into the House of Representatives, and then they were confident that Trump wouldn't get it. Some other Republican would get it, but that was superior in their mind to Trump being president. The court goes on. On December 19th, 2016, appellants, along with the other presidential electors, met in Olympia, where they do it in Washington, to cast their electoral ballots. Appellants did not vote for Hillary and Tim Kaine, who was her vice presidential pick, as required by their pledge, but instead voted for Colin Powell for president and a different individual for vice president. I think it's funny they don't even mention who that was, who they voted for vice president. All right, so these three faithless electors had their votes counted. They were submitted to Congress for the official tally. So let me mention that tally, the national tally. There were seven faithless electors in the entire country in 2016. Washington had these three who voted for Powell, and they had one other one who voted for Faith Spotted Eagle, a Native American activist. And this fourth one isn't mentioned in this lawsuit for some reason. She's not in it. Hawaii had one faithless elector. Hillary won Hawaii, and one of their electors voted for Bernie Sanders instead. That was really rogue. That wasn't part of this plan at all. So that's five Democratic faithless electors whose votes were counted. Remember, Bacchus was not here in Colorado. And two others in Colorado said they were going to be faithless and vote for John Kasich. But once they saw Baca get kicked out and all that, they, they went ahead and did what the Colorado statute said they were supposed to do. So there could have been more. And there could have been at least two more in Colorado. but And none of those were counted because in Colorado, their votes were kicked out, thrown out. Now, there were also two Republican faithless electors in 2016, both out of Texas. One of these faithless Republican electors voted for Ron Paul and the other one for Kasich. And there's a link in the notes covering those electors from 2016, the faithless electors. So this movement that was trying to deny Trump enough electoral college votes was about 32 short. They got two They got two Republicans, remember, because it doesn't matter who the Democrats voted for because they lost. They didn't have enough. So in order to take away the majority that Trump had of electoral college votes, they're going to need, I think, 34. They didn't get close to that, right? All right, back to the decision. In affirming the Secretary of State and the $1,000 fine, the trial court noted that the fine was constitutionally permissible because, quote, or the trial court, the state is not adding a qualification nor is the state here requiring specific performance of the pledge. So the state's not making them vote according to the popular vote, which is what they did in Colorado. So what the justices here are saying is that for these Washington people, we didn't stop you from voting for Colin Powell. You got to use your discretion. You got to do that. Your vote was counted. However, we're going to fine you for doing that. The court goes on to some interesting history about the constitutional debate surrounding how the president would be picked. And we went over a lot of that in more in depth when the Tenth Circuit did the same thing in Baca, which we discussed last week. So some wanted Congress to pick the president when they were putting together the Constitution. But some were like, eh, that might, might give the Congress too much power over the executive. But some wanted to do that, that Congress picked the president. That didn't work, obviously. That wasn't accepted. So it eventually boiled down to a direct popular election among all the voters in the entire country, or letting Congress pick that person. According to the court, James Madison advocated for the national vote, but delegates from the small states objected, seeing it as disadvantageous for their states. Well, it was disadvantageous to them. Remember, and this is something so many people just, I would say they forget it, but I don't think they ever knew it. The U.S. 
was not formed as a unitary democracy. That idea was specifically rejected by the drafters of the Constitution. It's why everybody, every state gets two senators, and it's why the Electoral College was created. So what we call the Electoral College was a compromise. I say that because the phrase itself, Electoral College, is not in the Constitution, but that's just what we call it. And then after problems in 1796 and 1800, those presidential elections, which we talked about more last week, the 12th Amendment was passed, which let the electors vote for the president and vice president separately, avoiding some of the problems they they had in the past. So this Washington court quotes Hamilton, just like the Tenth Circuit did, on some of this history. So here goes the Washington court talking about that. Historically, the Washington court said, the Electoral College has been largely a formality, has been largely a formality, as generally the electors would cast their votes consistent with the popular vote of their respective state. Yes, that is true. Largely, it has been a formality. And this is where this next part of their opinion is where this eight-person majority of the Washington State Supreme Court goes off the rails completely in my view. So they're going through this history, and they, they mention at least briefly, acknowledge that a national popular vote was rejected by the framers. They acknowledge that. It was. That's a fact. But then they, it's like they forget that, and they write. This is from the opinion. Indeed, at the outset, presidential electors were understood to be instruments for expressing the will of those who selected them, not independent agents authorized to exercise their own judgment. What's the source of this conclusion? The Federalist Papers? Justice Story's commentaries, contemporary records of the discussion? No. For this proposition, that from the beginning, they are understood to just do what the popular vote told them to do, is a 2017 Law Review article published in the Arizona Law Review, written by Keith Whittington. He might be a brilliant guy. I don't know who he is. That's the only source that they quote for this idea that they were always just supposed to do what the popular vote said. No other source. So why should we listen to this 2017 Law Review article that says this when we've got, like the Tenth Circuit, cited contemporary sources that were written while the Constitution was being drafted and the Twelfth Amendment was being drafted and passed, got all of the Federalist Papers, Justice Story's commentaries, all of that, but the Washington Supreme Court ignores it and cites a 2017 Arizona Law Review article. I mean, it's absurd. A first-year law student would, would not get away with that. So that's pretty weak, real weak. Now, they do go on and make other arguments, but that part of it it shouldn't even be in there. It's horrible. But then they continue on. Neither Article 2, Section 1, nor the 12th Amendment addresses electors' discretion in casting their votes. No, it doesn't. It doesn't say anything about it because it was assumed by the people that were picking or writing this that a vote means you have some discretion. Otherwise, it's not a vote. Otherwise, it's just a rubber stamp. And the Tenth Circuit went over all that. And the Tenth Circuit went over contemporary definitions of elector and vote and voter, and those words carry with them the idea of discretion. Because otherwise, you're not voting, you're just rubber stamping. So you become, you know, you're not really an elector, you're a clerk with a stamp. And again, maybe the Electoral College is a bad idea, the time has passed for it, and maybe it should be discarded. But if so, a constitutional amendment is required. So if the U.S. Supreme Court does uphold BACA and overturns this Guerra case, how we pick those people is going to become much more important, like it was intended to be. That will change. And I don't know how exactly, but it's going to change dramatically if that holds up, which I believe it should. Back to this opinion. The state, who's trying to defend their $1,000 fines, the state argues that Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution grants to state legislatures plenary, which means absolute, power to appoint those electors and determine the manner in which their appointment shall be made. And the fine, the state is arguing here, falls within that broad grant of authority. That doesn't follow. 
And the Tenth Circuit pointed it out. Tenth Circuit got that right. But what the Washington Supreme Court here is doing, they cite this 1952 Supreme Court case, the Ray v. Blair, where the U.S. Supreme Court said, yes, an elector could be required to make a pledge to vote for the popular vote winner of that state. In Ray v. Blair, U.S. Supreme Court case, the pledge is okay. Requiring a pledge is okay. And the court said, nothing in the Constitution prohibits an elector from announcing his choice beforehand, pledging himself. Of course, of course that's true. It's like I mentioned last week, if a presidential candidate promises not to raise taxes and he does, there's no there's no recourse except in the next election, which is what happened, right, to the original Bush. So this is where the Washington Supreme Court cites the 1952 Supreme Court case dealing with the pledge. And the Washington Supreme Court thinks this that's sufficient. If a state can require a pledge to be an elector, they can punish you for breaking that pledge. But voluntarily making a pledge has no application. It's not the same thing as being required to do it or to be punished for not doing it, which is how the Tenth Circuit dealt with Hooray. They made that distinction. States get to pick how they elect their electors or how they select them. Absolutely. They get to do that. But that's got nothing to do with making them vote a certain way, which is what the Washington Supreme Court says it does. They say mandating a vote or punishing them for not doing what we want them to do is the same thing as making them pledge to do something. It's like the Disneyland thing. A pledge or a promise is not a legal requirement. Now, if somebody breaks that pledge in their electors, that's going to hurt them politically if they ever want to do anything else. And that's what happens. It's a political recourse. It should not be a actual physical or monetary punishment. The court goes on. History teaches that the electors were expected to support the party nominees. Experts in the history of government recognize the long-standing practice. Okay, sure. But again, an expectation is not a requirement. Indeed, the fact that there is a vote allows expectations to be violated. How many times does a particular party in Congress do something that's against expectations? You might go, hey, of course the Republicans should vote this way, and then they don't. Well, expectations are not requirements. It's like saying, well, since people voluntarily give to charity, and we expect them to do that, then the government can require it. See, it's not. it, it doesn't follow. It's nonsense, because people are allowed to make a pledge, doesn't mean they can be required to do what they said. I promise to give money to a charity, and I don't. I'm just a bad person. The charity has no recourse against me. Just like the guy promised to get a souvenir to from Disneyland. And this is another important point in this discussion. Washington court says, the court, the U.S. Supreme Court. So it's Washington Supreme Court quoting the U.S. Supreme Court. U.S. Supreme Court recognized that the appointment and mode of appointment of electors belong exclusively to the state's under the Constitution of the United States. Absolutely. Again, picking who is going to vote is one thing. Not allowing them to vote is another. Requiring a rubber stamp means they are not voting. They're merely clerks. And this is where the Washington Supreme Court gets it wrong. The discretion to choose electors is one thing. Power to command how they vote is completely different, which is what Baca said and got it right. So Washington starts to wrap up their decision. They say, we acknowledge that some framers had intended the Electoral College electors to exercise independent judgment. Okay, well, that's good of them because that's correct. So in other words, the framers intended the electors, some of the framers intended for the electors to exercise independent judgment. But the Washington Supreme Court has a 2017 law review article from Arizona that says the opposite. So that's what they're going to go with. And over and over again, they make this mistake of equating a pledge to vote for someone with a requirement to vote for someone. That's wrong. The two Judge Mbaka got it right, and the dissenting justice here, Gonzalez, got it right. And Gonzalez, in his dissent, 
points out the majority's error. He says, The state's authority to penalize its electors is an issue of first impression. Ray versus Blair concerns only the broad authority to appoint electors. So in Ray, the state could make you pledge to do something. And that was it. That was the only thing the Supreme Court decided. They didn't say that could be enforced. Gonzalez in his dissent goes on. The court in the Ray versus Blair U.S. Supreme Court addressed the constitutionality of requiring electors to make a pledge, but did not address the electors' discretion. There's a meaningful difference between the power to appoint and the power to control. He's just nailing it. He goes on. The Constitution provides the state only with the power to appoint leaving the electors with the discretion to vote their conscience. Therefore, the state cannot impose a civil penalty on electors who do not vote for the candidates nominated by their party. I respectfully dissent. I respectfully agree with you, Justice Gonzalez. And I love it when something like this happens, just personally. It's just awesome when you're reading a majority opinion and you're making notes about how this is wrong, how they're missing the point, and then you get to the dissent and he's saying everything you've just been saying. I mean, that, that's just, it's just like validation. So the Washington State Supreme Court is in direct opposition of the United States Tenth Circuit. And that's the contradiction. One says states cannot require electors to vote a certain way. And the other court says that they can. So the U.S. Supreme Court will probably have to resolve this. Because if they don't, there might really be some chaos in 2020 if it's a close election. This isn't going away. Like I said, I've got a couple of uh, articles in the notes, national articles that are dealing with this. So check those out for some more on, on the entire issue and what may or may not happen. I'm DK Williams, and this has been The Law, episode 49, Guerra versus Washington, and we're brought to you in collaboration with Speakeasy Ideas, and I'm available for speaking, consulting, teaching. For more information on that, contact Bethany at speakeasyideas.com. She'll tell you all you need to know. And let me know what you think on Twitter, at the Law DKW and on Facebook.com, the Law with DK Williams. And if you go to the Facebook page, give me a rating because I think that really helps. I've got a couple, but I'd like to get some more. So until next week, freedom is dangerous, my friends. Live dangerously. Dangerous.